We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How we doing? IB Nation Sports Talk up and running. Hope you're having a great day. A brand new week coming out of Notre Dame's bye week. I'm Sean Styers. Jesse Styers is with me here today. How are you today, Jess? Um, I'm doing good, actually. It was a pretty busy <laughs> Monday. I worked longer than I wanted to, which is never a whole bunch of fun. But I also got in bed later than I wanted to as well. So I think it all balanced out. Um, I'm excited that the bye week blues are gone. You know, it's the worst time of the year when you have to go two weeks between seeing, you know, your favorite team play. Uh, it always seems to take forever, uh, but excited to get back into it. I think BYU will be a good matchup and test for Notre Dame this week. I think we can gain some more answers on yes. what, what this Notre Dame team is and get some more concrete kind of evidence for uh, some things that we're hoping to be true about Notre Dame. And I say hoping because you can only you can only hope you know nothing's concrete right now after just two games and one of them kind of being against a North Carolina defense that was pretty shaky. So um, very very interested in the matchup this week for BYU. The bye week always lets you clear the mechanism. You know, to borrow from uh, Kevin Costner in For Love of the Game, you clear the mechanism, you clear the brain. It's like you you know you put all the you know, you don't have to worry about bad plays, good plays, bad calls, good calls, any of that stuff. You can kind of push it aside for a little bit and just sort of sit and relax and watch whether it's college games on Saturday, NFL games on Sunday, or even, you know, college games Friday night for that matter, because there was uh, at least one game Friday night. But, uh, you know, it, uh, you, 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 it's, it's like a break. We still get to watch football. But we don't have to, you know, to to jump into all those details. But now, You're just a fan. That's right. We're just a fan. But now we're back, and there's two straight months of football for Notre Dame because the bye week was a little earlier this year. By the way, shout out to uh, Tommy Guns forty four first in for both shows. He said today, "You get a silver star, Tommy. I don't know what else <laughs> to give you. We don't have any other good prizes." But uh, Tyler back from. Lawrence, Kansas, and he said the KU game was amazing in person. I was so happy I went to Lawrence. I'm curious, Tyler. I didn't ask you on Thursday when you said you were going because Tyler, as far as I know, now maybe he has some connection to one of those two teams that he hasn't imparted upon us here in the YouTube chat. 
before, but he drove from Elkhart to Lawrence. I'm curious why that game, what made him other than the fact that I think he had won a couple bets wisely on uh, the Jayhawks so far, why he'd traveled to that game. But uh, yeah, yeah. Tyler is Tyler and Tyler KU is five and zero right now beating Iowa state. It was a defensive slugfest. I said to take the over because <laughs> KU has been one of the highest scoring teams in the nation. Iowa State, pretty good defense, but that's the best defense that Kansas has played. So, you know, both on, on both sides, their defense played the best they have played this year, and the Iowa State defense is the best that they had faced this year. And it ended up being a 14-11 to 11 game. So, worked out. Henry's happy about it, I see. <laughs> Sounds like he's angry. He didn't like all that defensive battle. He wanted to see more offensive touchdowns. Um, it was funny. The Michigan and Iowa game hit the under by one point. Um, there was a lot of games, I think, this weekend. I think Clemson and Wake Forest was another game that was kind of underscoring. No, sorry, the Wake Forest and uh, Florida State Florida game State. Yeah. was a little underscoring. There was a lot of games where I think we expected many more points this weekend. But, uh, you know, it's just it's crazy how football works like that. College or NFL, it seems like as soon as you feel like you know what's going on, all of a sudden you hit like a lull. And to me, when it happens in baseball, I think the baseballs are juiced. I think they're always tinkering with baseball. So you see home runs kind of fluctuate. Maybe they're messing with like the PSI settings in the footballs. I Could don't be. know. Could be. I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried trade coffee, my coffee loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about trade coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection, the rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the black velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose. Because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tyler says his sister goes to KU. That's why he went. That's why he drove from Elkhart to Lawrence to go to the game. She got him in the student section and it was full again. Second straight week. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Let's let's see exactly how this turns out, because this is the first 5-0 start for Kansas since 2009. Um, But things did not end very favorably for my Jayhawks in 2009, because after the 5-0 start, they got into the uh, thick of the Big 12 conference schedule and they lost their last seven games that season to finish five and seven. Wow. So hopefully that doesn't happen this year, but things are going to get tougher now. Game day is going to Lawrence next week. TCU, Sonny Dykes has got TCU unbeaten as well, and they've got a great offense too. So that thing could just be a shootout between Kansas and TCU and game day comes to Lawrence and, and uh, Booth Memorial Stadium Saturday. So that looking forward to that. First crazy. ever time, college game day has been at a Kansas football game. So that's pretty exciting for the Jayhawks, my alma mater, for those who maybe didn't know. KU was ranked last week, question mark. I saw they're 19 right now. They were not ranked yet last week, but they are ranked right now. They uh, cracked the polls for the first time. Hopefully they stay there because, like I said, TCU is going to be a pretty good team this week. Well, uh, while you're here, don't forget, smash that like button. If you would, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, no matter where you watch or listen to the show. Yeah, Anthony says, so you're predicting 13 to 10, Sean? It could be based on, I thought, you know, I was I was uh, picking the over. I think they had hit the over their first four games. Last week was the first under, but the Jayhawks 5-0, and and they're also 5-0 and against the spread this season. I do believe TCU is like a three-and-a-half point favorite right now, just like Notre Dame is a three-and-a-half point favorite for this week's game against BYU. In the the, the line started at two and a half, the first one that I saw this weekend, and it is up to three and a half right now. So we'll have to keep an eye on that as this week goes along for the Irish and the Cougars, in the Shamrock Series game. And we'll uh, we'll hit some specifics on the Shamrock Series coming up in rapid fire in a little bit. Wanted to start off Marcus Freeman. First time we've got a chance to talk to him since after the B, or uh, the North Carolina game, rather, uh, you know, post-game comments and all that kind of stuff. But with last week being the bye week, of course, there was no Marcus Freeman press conference. So held one today. They appealed J.D. Bertrand's targeting call to the NCAA, which is interesting, Jess, because as we talked about, some of his first comments after the North Carolina game were, hey, it's targeting. There's nothing to appeal. We just got to teach the guy to tackle better. But they did appeal the targeting call for starters. Did it surprise you at all to hear that? Uh, I think it surprised me based off of the comments that were made, uh, you know, right after the game by Marcus Freeman, but in context of overall kind of what I would expect out of a coach head coach, I'm not surprised. So, 
I think after things kind of blew over, the bye week settle in, Marcus Freeman kind of had some time to sit back. Uh, and obviously he decided to appeal. So as a head coach, uh, it doesn't surprise me. But the, after the comments he made, it, it did surprise me a little bit. It seemed like he was pretty confident in the fact that they weren't going to appeal it and that it was a dirty hit. Yep. So I've got a few sound bites from Marcus Freeman's press conference today, starting with this one. Tim Priester asked Marcus Freeman about it, and here is how that little back and forth went. Did you do that with Jamie yeah. Bertrand? Yeah. And what was the result of that? Denied. <laughs> Did you get feedback, or it's just a... a no, they said that in their, um, in their opinion, that was a... Uh, a targeting penalty, and he denied our appeal, and uh, he'll be out for the first half of this so, game. So actually hitting with the face mask is, is I'll, not legal. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll save my opinion. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we, we felt like we had a strong appeal, and uh, it was denied. I think we all felt like they had a strong appeal, appeal, yet it was denied. And as Tim said there, and as we talked about on this show Last week, was it last week or the week before? I guess it would have been last week. It's blurred now, you know, with this buy and the extra time and all that. But as we talked about, and as Tim said, he hit him with his face mask first, and there was incidental contact. Like, I saw some targeting calls in college football Saturday where it is literally a defensive player coming in with his head lowered and just tackling with the crown of his helmet, which is what you were trying to to prevent. And as we had the tweet from Drew Tranquil about form tackling, and it was, you know, good form tackle and, and the whole thing that JD Bertrand was tackling with his face mask. And just to make sure for the people on YouTube, because we had someone ask about this last week when we were talking about it, we cannot show the video because of rights fees and all that, you know, there, there's, there are copyrights and all that kind of stuff. So we can't do that. He was tackling with his, with his <clears throat> face. Basically, he put his face in the guy's shoulder. There was some incidental contact, you know, with his helmet and kind of the, you know, the the lower part of the guy's, you know, face mask, helmet, whatever area. There was no real contact there. I don't know what you're going to do. If, if that's targeting, I, I, I just I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, I think this more so airs on the side of you see this a lot in the NFL, the MLB. Uh, a lot of times afterwards, you know, the the professional leagues, college leagues, NCAA, whoever it might be, they don't necessarily want to go against uh, their their refs, their umpires, that kind of situation. And so I think most of the time we see these calls uh, be made. And then once it's determined and the game's over, these guys aren't going to go back and kind of say that their own refs were wrong, uh, that kind of situation. They're not going to publicly make their own people look bad. So I think it's more not necessarily was it a bad hit, a dirty hit, a clean hit, you know, proper form tackling. I just thought that they just stuck with their guns no matter what, and they weren't going to double back um, on it. And I think that that's oftentimes what we see, like I was saying with the NFL um, and the MLB, which is, it's a shame. I think that, that, you know, that they should be able to admit in certain situations where they're wrong. And like you said, that this, there's just clearly wasn't targeting. There's so many uh, you, you see so many more worse circumstances, and I know that it's not based circumstance to circumstance. It's what the rule is, but he didn't lead or you know a, a initiate contact with the crown of the helmet. He stuck his face right into the guy's chest plate, shoulder plate, whatever you want to call it, and made a proper tackle. So at the end of the day, I don't know what Bertrand's supposed to do in that situation. Um, and like I said, I just feel like they're not going to double back on their guys and admit uh, that they're wrong. They're just going to stick with what their call was, and that's it.
two things. If this kind of call is not going to be overturned, I mean, they're going to uphold 99% of all calls across college football because this is clear cut. Again, the first contact was J.D. Bertrand's face mask going into the guy's shoulder. It was not J.D. Bertrand's face mask even going into his helmet. And, And I don't want to beat a dead horse on this, but Marcus Freeman did talk about it. They did appeal. They did say they got denied. They got no explanation for the denial. It was just appeal denied. That was it. And, you know, that he played the smart move. He didn't criticize the decision because he doesn't want a, a fine getting lobbed back at him from the NCAA. But it, so, again, if, if, if this kind of call, if they just instituted this appeal process this year that you can appeal a second half call because it affects you sitting out the first half of the next game. They're not, if they're not going to overturn this, I don't think they're going to overturn much of anything. But it also goes back to the bigger point that these kind of calls, unless it is clear cut crown of the helmet to the other guy's helmet, you know, helmet to helmet, major contact, you should not be ejected for this. It should be first offense if you're going to get called for targeting. You know, it it should be like flagrant one, flagrant two kind of thing. First offense for this kind of targeting that J.D. Bertrand got flagged on. It should be just a standard 15-yard penalty. You get your first warning. If you get flagged for it again, then you're out. But again, crown of the helmet, helmet to helmet contact, that's a completely different thing altogether. This was not helmet to helmet contact. So it's. The role, the role needs to be changed. They're probably not going to change it. They're probably not going to overturn any of these appeals if they're not going to overturn this one. Yeah, I agree. I think there's the clear-cut eject, you know, ejection targeting calls uh, where you can see malicious intent leading with the crown, all of the good stuff where you should be, you know, ejected immediately. But in a situation like J.D. Bertrand where you're just making a tackle, you know, in space, uh, doing what you're supposed to with the right form, sometimes it comes off as, you know, as a hit that might be, I guess, in this case, targeting. So I think there does need to be a, a line between one, you get a warning and second one, you're out. And then the clear and cut obvious where you're taken out, you know, or immediately from the game, because this sucks for someone like J.D. Bertrand. He just got, you know, just coming back from a suspension where, or sorry, Uh, having to sit out from a prior targeting, he comes back and within, you know, the first five minutes, he's already out for another targeting off a hit that was that, you know, most people I would say would was was clean. So it sucks for him. And it it really sucks not having a rule like this in place, especially uh, for a circumstance like this. Yeah. The refs are hired or employed by the conferences. In this case, they were ACC conferences, but as Tommy says, another example of the garbage NCAA when it all comes down to it. (laughs) So now another topic that uh, that came up, plenty of different topics came up, as you would expect at Marcus Freeman's first press conference back. But one of them is Xavier Watts. And he talked about how Xavier Watts is at selling at safety. We got to see Watts at safety in the North Carolina game with both Ramon Henderson and DJ Brown out for different reasons. And we'll talk about them here in a minute. But um, Freeman said... Watts is only playing defense now after they moved him to wide receiver during training camp. Here's what he had to say about that. You know, we, 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 we tried him in fall camp a little bit, moving back to offense, but 
you know, O'Leary wanted to fight every day to keep him on defense. And, and we just felt his role had more value to our team on defense um, than to go in offense and really compete to try to get playing time. We knew that defensively there was already a plan for him to play. And after a couple practices, we said, you know, let's just keep him on defense. So Xavier Watts is officially defense only. That's the only side of the ball we had seen him on during games. We had not seen him at wide receiver at all, despite the struggles of the wide receiver group. And I was doing kind of a, a, you know, a deeper look at some of the numbers by the Irish receivers today. Only four Irish receivers have caught passes so far this season. Lorenzo Styles being the leading, and I'm talking about wide receivers. Only four wide receivers have caught passes so far this season, and the wide receiving production in terms of receiving production is roughly 41%, 41-42% of the total um, you know, receiving yards and catches production that Notre Dame has. So they tried moving Xavier Watts over to offense during training camp. We saw him over there, looked pretty good. You know, in some of the drills that we saw him over there, but uh, that experiment is over. So Watts is back to the defensive side of the ball, even though we haven't seen anyone really besides Lorenzo Styles step up. You know, that's that's like if you're gonna move this guy over and then move him back, you'd like to see some other guys step up in the receiving room, Jess. But we just haven't seen that so far. Yeah, I think I'm okay with having you know Watts. It, exclusively play defense uh that's that's obviously what he's played before um and now when you have safety depth issues i think that it makes perfectly good sense to you know limit his focus to one side of the ball and another way that i look at this is yeah you know they don't have great wide receiver depth or production right now but at the same time why would you take away some of these reps uh from the younger guys like merriweather who obviously needs it uh and who's trying to learn to get into these positions so to me, it's kind of a win-win when you have safety death issues and you're also trying to develop some of these younger guys who quite, you know, aren't ready yet. And so to why why take away reps uh, from these guys who from someone who's not, you know, a true wide receiver or someone who you definitely doesn't don't know if they're gonna be playing wide receiver. So for those for those reasons, I'm yeah. okay with that kind of situation because I'd rather see some of those younger guys uh, develop that we haven't seen yet that we keep wanting to see. Um, them get their reps and Watts kind of stick to defense and, and do his thing. Yeah, I mean that's that's actually a really good point. You know, if you're if you're not going to give him a bigger look or if he's not showing that he's ready, especially at this point in the season, you're four games in and in a bye week and all that stuff. And and they had obviously ditched the experiment. You know, a, a while back they just never really talked about it. Why steal reps from other guys who are still trying to kind of make their case and get in there and who possibly can help you. But I, I think we all know, as Vigo says, wide <laughs> receiver production, bro, yes, it is, it is low right now. It is low. Someone's got to step up. Lorenzo Styles, best game, arguably, got best overall game against North Carolina. Just got to continue to see that. Marcus Freeman thinks that, hey, if the running game continues, the 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 passing game will come with it that everything flows off the running game so who knows maybe we won't see new faces but it'll just you know get get better because the running game is going to help make it better i guess let me play devil's advocate here with 
and pose a question to you with the three headed running monster running back that we're seeing kind of Notre Dame develop here um, guys who can run the ball, have different running styles, abilities, you know, fast, more outside. Some guys are better downhill. Um, they can all catch the ball out of the backfield. Do you, would you take having that kind of running back production and be okay with where the wide receiver production is, knowing that you can get, you know, good production out of Mayer, decent amount out of Styles, and you have this good running game, but you also have, you know, these 22 set or two running back sets that you can get into where you can get them kind of some touches as well on some, you know, quick throws. Do those things balance out in your opinion? Or, or do you still need to see much more from the wide receivers? I mean, it has balanced out. But, you know, they, they have helped offset it because of their own production. And obviously having Michael Mayer helps as well between having Mayer and what you're getting out of those receivers. I mean, Look at Logan Diggs. I mean, and ju just basically look at the last two games, what they've got. And, and that was, you know, look, again, go back to those first two games, regardless of who's quarterback, all the stuff they've done with the running backs in the last two games is stuff they could have been doing with them in the first two games, but they chose not to. And, you know, that that plays a big part in where they are right now as a group. I think you can take that as some of the trade-off because that receiving group between, you know, especially Tyree and Diggs, they have really offset it, but they've had to help offset it because of the fact that you're not getting anything more downfield. Now, sooner or later, don't you think, Jess, you know, defenses are going to pick up on that. And at some right. point it's still going to be on the receivers to step up and be a bigger part of the game and on Drew Pine to be able to step up and hit some of those throws downfield and make them a bigger part of the game. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, too often today, defensive coordinators are smart enough. Defensive players are athletic enough that they can get into, you know, certain situations where they can load the box, take away that run game and also take away, you know, be comfortable with taking away a lot of that kind of, uh, you know, quick pass intermediate passes. Uh, so yeah, you're going to have to eventually, if, if this offense wants to be complete, and be able to compete against good defenses at a high level, they're going to have to be able to complete passes downfield. It doesn't have to be all the time, but it has to be enough to, for teams to respect you and, and to not get you know caught sniffing down in the box. you got to have prove to teams that you can go over top. Um, and I think that the way that they're going to do that is exactly what they did last game against with that Lorenzo Styles long played out uh, play action pass where they got him over the top. It's just they, they say they're going to have to do enough for the safety well, to, to respect that run game by just a step or two. Um, and yeah, that's really going to be, you know, they're going to have to consistently keep making those kind of plays. And again, that's where the running backs and especially, you know, the two back sets, because we talked about the fact that 19 plays, you had either 21 or 22 personnel, two running backs and one tight end or 22, two running backs, two tight ends. I've, I've, I've said over and over, I don't like the 12 personnel, but now, now, Eli Raridan has really come on as a blocking tight end. He's probably their best blocking tight end right now, and that's really come out of the blue because that's not what I think we anticipated, especially early from him with this, you know, his size and everything else coming out of high school. You know, so he's at least stepped up, but where these running backs not just offset the production you know, lack of production by the wide receivers and make up for it with their own getting their hands on the ball 
is the manipulation of the safeties and manipulation of the opposing defenses, but you know, just just by the motion or the play action in one direction, and then you know, throw back to the other, or you know, as you were talking about, you you know, you 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 know, play play fake one side, then all of a sudden the, the safety is vacated, and there's Lorenzo Styles, you know, with with an easy thirty yard touchdown pass. So I, I think that there's they can still be in it, man. Probably have to be a big part of it. Just them being on the field. And the way Tommy Reese is able to essentially play chess and use them to manipulate the defenses is going to be really big as well as, as this season progresses. Yeah, and I think that's what we're going to see a lot of, to be honest with you, is just a lot of kind of Tommy Reese's mental chess match that he has going into the week saying, you know, this week, um, Lorenzo Styles is going to be my king and, you know, Diggs is going to be my queen or this week uh estimate is going to be my king and just kind of knowing what they want to accomplish based on what the other defense is kind of showing and then manipulating their offense to go around it because i do think that they have enough pieces to do that they can they can win a good chess match just based on their quality of pieces you know they might not have the 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 top you know wide receiver but they have a really solid you know group across the board of wide receiver tight ends running backs who are all very versatile and athletic and good in space one other thing that I wanted to mention, and I got another soundbite from Marcus Freeman, his messaging to the team, it has shifted. Early on, you know, the, the main message was finish, you know, like finish the game, finish the fourth quarter, you know, that kind of thing, finish. Well, finish was the message, but they didn't finish either of the first two games, whether it was Ohio State or Marshall. It didn't work out quite work out that way. So the messaging has changed, finish is gone and it's all about execution and preparation right now from the fighting irish head coach point of emphasis post-practice right and and in our coaching meetings and that i tell the coaches coach every play right don't worry about the outcome don't worry about you know did we win the game how we did in practice just coach every play right and coach these guys and the players have to hear that and say okay i want to be coached every play you know, and that's been a big point of emphasis for me is that I don't care if we complete the ball. I don't care if it's a tackle for loss. What did Johnny do on this play? Did he do his job? Yes or no? You know, if not, then why not? And let's fix it. And so that to me is more important than anything is that our coaches coach every play. And we evaluate every play and not worry so much about the outcome. And so it's a point of emphasis. If we got to stop practice, stop practice. If we are in the middle of a scout team period and we need to stop it to correct somebody, stop it and correct it because – we can't just go on and saying, okay, hey, we made a good play. Johnny didn't do his job, but we, we, we scored a touchdown. Were you less likely to do that in August? No, uh, probably. Okay. Probably. I didn't. You know, sometimes it takes failures to really evaluate how you're leading. You know, and it shouldn't take that. But for me, after the marching game, I, I kind of said, hold on. Let's, let's really, really look at how I am as a leader. Where can I improve? And it starts with me. It starts with the head coach and making sure that, you know, you really improve um, as a leader. And one of those parts was like, hold on, I'm not, let's stop worrying about finishing because that's more outcome driven, right? Let's finish this game. We're up in the fourth, finish the game. Let's really evaluate every single play and make sure we're executing. Couple things off that because the end there, Marcus Freeman basically admits he made a rookie head coach mistake that he was 
focused on the wrong thing. His messaging to his team was about the wrong team. Finish versus, you know, like the process-based stuff, I think, becomes cliche because every coach talks about it. But that's essentially what he's saying. It's about the process of making sure you're doing doing it right. And since I, it, it seems like because the messaging changed after the Marshall game, as he said, and he had to look and say, okay, what, you know, and, and is this the right thing that we need to be focusing on? He decided that it wasn't, and it's and it's all about execution and preparation, and if they're in practice not getting the rep right, they're not just going to keep on going, you know, through, a, through a, a rep that was done incorrectly. He said they'll stop it down and start it over and do it correctly, and that's the only way you're going to eliminate, I think, a lot of those on-field mistakes that we saw in the first couple games is doing it that way. What do you think about all this as a former player, Jess? There's a lot to kind of unravel here. And I think yeah. that that finish comes primarily from the result that we saw Marcus Freeman have last year in his first game and that new Year's six bowl. I think that that was kind of where they lacked is they didn't finish in the second half. They didn't finish in the fourth quarter and they ultimately lost. So I think that that hung around with Marcus Freeman for a while and left a bad taste in his mouth. And I think he kind of, uh, skipped over the steps and, and and landed on, well, we just needed a finish. Well, that wasn't really his team. This team is a lot different from last year's team. And I think, unfortunately, that kind of message of finish, which fit, you know, at the end of that Oklahoma State game, lingered over into this season. And I don't think that this team was really ready yet for the for that to be the team motto of finish. I think the that the proper um, preparation is an execution are far more important, especially for kind of a younger team or a team that's coming together, uh, a lot of new pieces. Um, in my opinion, you know, proper proper preparation prevents poor performance. You can't, yeah, the, the five Ps, they're somewhere in there. <laughs> I knew it was um, some, yeah, I, I couldn't think of, yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, I think that those, poor performance. Beep, the, beep, that's, beep. that's the thing that is most important, especially for these guys where there's a lot, like I said, a lot of new players, maybe some new schemes, guys filling in roles that they haven't quite yet, a lot of new coaches. You can't perform unless you have, you know, your preparation down. And we talked about that, that, that gains you a, a half a second to a second, especially as a defensive player. And even as an offensive player, just knowing before the play even starts of where, you know, base what the other team is lining up in, going through the mental kind of play of this is what I need to do. They're showing me this, 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 this. And then now your body just reacts and you play better. You play more loose, you play more fun. And so I'm all on board with the, that proper performance or, you know, the, the preparation, proper preparation. Sorry. Proper preparation you moved your is, peas around. <laughs> is is very important and obviously the execution of it, right? You, you can prepare all you want, but that comes of being prepared and then executing the play one play at a time. So I also think another big thing to kind of uh, unravel in this is that Marcus Freeman took a big step as a head coach after the first two games. Things weren't going right. There were two losses, obviously a bad loss at Marshall to home. And like he said, he sat down and he rethought his process and it's led to two wins for Notre Dame. And I think that that's something pivotal um, and a big leap for Marcus Freeman as the coach. You know, yeah. these are kind of the growing pains that we talked about. Um, but these are the things that you want to see your your head coach uh, do or get better at. And, and the ability to, to look himself in the mirror and say that, you know, I need to change. It's not what the players are doing wrong. What can I do to help the team out better? And now we have two wins because of it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think I said this after the Marshall game. He looked like through his first three games as a head coach, like a young first-time head coach who went into each game with a specific yet different game plan for each game, but specific game plans for each game, but really had no counterpunch when it was time to adjust. The other teams all made much better adjustments to him than he was able to make back to them. There was no counterpunch. And so after those first two games, as you talked about, Marcus Freeman could have just kept saying, well, look, I'm putting together the best game plans I can. I think that I'm preparing this team the best I can. I think I'm doing all the right things. If I just stick with what I'm doing, it's going to work out eventually. But that's not what he did. He did what you talked about. He took a step back and he said, are we focusing on the right things? Because you know, as Tommy said, finishing isn't just an end of game thing. And other people have made their comments about finishing as well. That's right. It's not just about the fourth quarter and finishing games. It's just like people want to talk about luck in sports. And you were talking about playing fast in sports. Preparation lends itself to both both of those things. The more you're prepared as an athlete, regardless of what sport it is, the more you're prepared, the more you know what you're supposed to do, and the more you have the ability to do those things when it's live without thinking about it, the better you're going to finish, the better you're going, you know, like the more luck is going to come your way. Preparation lends itself to luck. Like you can talk about luck all you want, but the more prepared you are, you know, like the ability to know when a route is coming. Like Benjamin Morrison, you know, was standing at the line of scrimmage in the last game. And I can't remember exactly what he was pointing out, but he was, you know, I, no, it was a, it was a tackle eligible. They had, they had North Carolina had brought in a tackle eligible and he was standing there at the line of scrimmage and he was pointing out the tackle eligible. North Carolina had to end up, I believe, changing the play, if I'm not mistaken. So Benjamin Morrison, you know, just using that as an example, he was prepared. He knew exactly what was coming as a true freshman. He knew exactly what was coming. And because of his preparation, he forced North Carolina to have to make a different decision, to have to change what they wanted to do to begin with. And so, you know, again, all this stuff that, you know, the the preparation, the process, all these different things, they sound cliche. But again, I think you have to give Marcus Freeman a lot of credit for not just sitting back again and saying, well, if we just keep doing this, things are going to get better eventually because i think you know we're coaching this team to the best of our ability he figured out how he needed to make kind of a slight tweak in uh, in how he was going about things and what the day-to-day focus 
needed to be on. And at least in the short term so far, we've seen some positive results and positive effects from that. Definitely. I think the last thing my cherry on the top would be, and we, I forgot to mention this. Um, another thing that preparation does for you uh, on top of all the other Are things. Are you going to throw just, more peas at us now? <laughs> no, just another thing that it, it does is it gives you that confidence. And I think people, athletes perform much better. I think everyone in life performs much better when they're more confident about themselves. If you know what's going to happen and you know what you're supposed to do and you're confident in that, you're going to have better results, you know, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10 when you're not confident in yourself or less confident in yourself. So those things go hand in hand. Um, and I really like that he has shifted the message to, you know, getting prepared, being prepared, and then executing once it's time uh, to execute. Yep. That's right. We were talking about the 21 and 22 personnel earlier. We on Marshall says run everything out of 22 then. I don't need to see complex motions and counters to throw below the sticks. What do you think about that, Jess? Um, I, I, the, the complex motions and, and counters are kind of what's set up um, and help this offense kind of do other things. It gets the defense's eyes to move in different directions and, and, you know, potentially kind of overloads or overcomplicates uh, things when, when really it's kind of a, a much more simpler at the end of the day. I think they're trying to get what you're talking about. But on the, uh, the other side of it, you know, uh, affecting the, the defense, making it harder for them, overcomplicating things. That's why I think the kind of the motions are uh, are needed. You know, it, it might seem a little bit too much, but those are the things that get the defense off balance, get their eyes looking one way. And then you're hitting those backside wheels up the well, sideline uh on you know later plays you're using it to kind of set up other things yeah and again complex you know is a it's a fairly subjective term i guess what's complex to you and i probably isn't complex to to drew pine and tommy reese and and the in the running backs in the offense because you know again you know i don't think they had 22 in the case where estime and chris tyree caught their passes you know against cow but again remember they started off with two backs in the backfield, Pine in the shotgun. Estime was the right back. Uh, Chris Tyree was the left back. They motioned Estime off to the left. It brought the safety over. Boom, the seam is wide open. There's Chris Tyree for the easy touchdown. So there's just, you know, again, an easy example of, I don't think it was complex. It was just a simple motion and how they can use those two backs to manipulate defense is actually relatively Simply, you know, just by a simple motion like that, you're you're taking a defender away from what you want to do, and it's opening something up. It was something that they had seen on film that they thought they could capitalize on. Boom, easy, easy touchdown. And again, you know, just by some play action in some easy motions, it seemed like against Carolina a couple of weeks ago, they were able to do some of that as well. Yeah, and motion also simplifies the offense for Pine. He can read the coverage exactly. a lot easier. He can see if it's man to man, if it's more of a zone concept. So that's really helpful. Um, and then, oh man, there was one more point I was trying. Oh, as a defensive player, I just remember in college, anytime someone went on like a jet motion, an orbit motion, whatever, it's like instant panic. It's in instant like internal chaos because someone's moving at a very fast speed, and it's like. It, that, that can't be happening for no reason. And then everyone's kind of flying around and you're kind of having to calibrate, recalibrate on the fly. So I just remember anytime I saw those motions, uh, it was just like instant panic. I hated it. It felt like something bad was about to happen. Uh, yeah. That's, I don't know. Vigo is, is uh, 
He says you write your messages in fortune cookies, or you write the messages in fortune cookies with all of your little riddles that you've been throwing at us tonight. <laughs> Tommy Guns had it up there. I really—that's what I really wanted to say. You know, uh, proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. But oh, okay. <laughs> so we even got another P in there. All yeah, right. I was trying to. Is I, that straight from your college coach, or who's that from? Yeah, that's straight from my baseball college coach. He <laughs> loved to say that, even though we were never prepared. So <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can't say anything about that. I don't know what to say about that. I had. Hey, don't forget hit that like button, subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff. Had a good time. Tonight, Jess will be back tomorrow. We've got some BYU X's and O's, so you won't want to miss that. That's right. We've got the breakdowns. If you saw them a couple of weeks ago before North Carolina, you will want to be here for Tuesday's podcast as well. We will talk to you then. Until then, thanks for uh, jumping on with us tonight on IB Nation Sports Talk.